All right, Galatians chapter 3 in your Bibles tonight, please. Galatians chapter 3. Good to see you tonight. I appreciate the hungry hearts. And uh, you may want to uh, open your Bible as well to Romans 6. Uh, we will be there at uh, uh, one point in the message. And, but we're going to start off here in Galatians 3 uh, and then uh, move from this umbrella passage uh, to some of the details that underneath that umbrella that are over there in Romans chapter 6. But Galatians chapter 3 right now. And uh, these are neat verses. I call them umbrella verses because this is a massive amount of truth contained in just a few phrases. It's just huge. It's huge. And there is a ton of detail uh, that uh, goes under this umbrella of truth. And, uh, but uh, let's look at the uh, statement in the general way here in Galatians 3. And I'll begin in verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And then here's your explanatory phrase that encompasses a lot of truth. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, the little words put on over in Luke 24, the same Greek word underneath that is translated endued. <laughs> For as many of you as have been immersed into Christ have been endued, clothed with Christ. There's a lot of truth in those phrases. It's talking about our union in him and he in us. And the title of the message tonight is Life Streaming from the Throne. <laughs> and let's pray and ask the Spirit of God to be our teacher. Blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to meet tonight as uh, we gather together to hear from you. Now, Spirit of the living God, would you be our teacher? Open our eyes, Lord, thrill us with the truth, really the Grand Canyon truth that connects to these words. And Lord, in that understanding, would you convince us, move us from wishful thinking to convinced confidence as to the provision that is available in Christ for every child of God. So Lord, help us tonight. Use the truth to make a difference, Lord, in the practical outworkings of day in, day out living. And so, Lord, again, I plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from the attack of the enemy. And, uh, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you on the throne. And in your name, once again, exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder in any way tonight. And trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, we need a fresh meeting with you tonight. We look to you now for just that. May you be lifted up. May you be honored. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I hit the road in evangelism back in 1992. <laughs> That's a long time ago. And uh, uh, then uh, several years into it, we got the fifth wheel thing. You know, it used to be horseback. And uh, for, for modern evangelists, it's fifth wheel trailers uh, and so on. Well, actually, there was an era in between where they said an evangelist was a guy with seven sermons and a fast car. Uh, uh, then it became seven sermons and a fifth wheel truck, uh, uh, a trailer and truck. But at any rate, uh, in those days, uh, you know, uh, you took meetings wherever you could take them, uh, <laughs> especially there at the beginning. And sometimes you're crisscrossing and driving too far and all this kind of thing. Uh, 
but I, uh, I remember one time we were headed out to uh, California, and so I think we were down there on Interstate 40, and, uh, you know, it takes several days to get from the east <laughs> to the west coast, and so uh, we had to travel on a Sunday, so when it came, like, church time, we were looking for the next town, and as we come to that town, we're looking for a church, and we pull off and hope for the best, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's the way it was in those days. Well, then, and this is pre-COVID, my home church, which is Ann Arbor Baptist Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I've been based out of there since 1998. Uh, they, uh, they started live streaming. And so I remember another time, and I think it was Interstate 40, same interstate, and instead of pulling off somewhere, we're tuning in. And uh, I'm driving and watching and hopefully watching the road. <laughs> but, you know, you're watching what's going on inside that auditorium in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I'm driving across New Mexico. It's amazing. But what we're going to see tonight is more amazing than live streaming. It's life streaming. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. The plan of God. I mean, the Marvel movies and all that kind of stuff, they can't come close to what God has provided for his people, uh, spelled out in detail in our New Testament. It's absolutely stunning. And so uh, uh, this is this concept of live streaming. See, we saw in our text, uh, for as many of you, uh, for, for ye all are the children of God by faith in Christ. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you became a child of God. Then it explains, for or because, as many of you as have been baptized. So it's tied back uh, grammatically, verb tense-wise, to that moment you put your faith in Christ and became a child of God. At that moment, it says, you ha have been, therefore, at that moment you were baptized, immersed, submerged into Christ. And at that same time, you put on, you were clothed with, you were endued with Christ. There is a union there. That is being described. And since you and I, if you know Jesus, are joined to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, then we have the privilege of accessing the life stream of the very life of Christ who sits on the throne right now, and that very life is streamed into us by the Holy Spirit, and we can access that life stream and be animated by the throne life of Jesus while we walk planet earth. <laughs> it's amazing. Now, how can this be? Well, the text uh, here is giving us the uh, broad things uh, here. We're going to see some of the detail as well. But let's let God's reasons, his reasoning, build our faith. Now, we're going to be looking at some facts tonight. Now, last night we distinguished between promises, the will-be's and the shall-be's, and facts. We're going to see some facts tonight, right here, as well as in Romans 6. And more than just looking at them, let's look to the Spirit to convince us. So that's your word reckon in Romans 6. Uh, it is actually in the passive voice. Allow yourselves to be convinced. Let's allow the Spirit to convince us of these facts. And uh, we're going to dwell on that tonight. And then, Lord willing, tomorrow night we will apply it as to how this plays out in the nitty-gritty of life. And then perhaps on Wednesday we'll look at uh, the promise concept. But for sure, right now, let's deal with some of these facts. Let's deal with God's reasoning. Let's let the Spirit move us from wishful thinking to a convinced confidence. The first reason, we'll stay right here in Galatians 3 for this, is that if you're saved, God identifies you with Christ's life. So if you're a child of God... The moment you got saved onward, regardless of how long you've been saved, 
regardless of how spiritually mature you are, regardless of how long you've been right with God <laughs> since the last stumbling, or whatever, the fact is God identifies you with Christ's life. Now let's look at the text here. It's beautiful. It explains that when you put your faith in Jesus and became a child of God, here's some big things that happened. Verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And we're going to see in these words is the idea that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Now, let's break it down. There is debate among theologians when we read the passages in our New Testament that deal with baptism as to whether or not a given passage is talking about water baptism or whether it's talking about spirit baptism, or we could call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so they debate as to what it is. Now, friends, honestly, there is a, there's an easy way to figure this out. In the given context, if the person doing the baptizing is a human being, and if the element being baptized into is H2O, <laughs> then help me out. It is it's water baptism. <laughs> but if in a given passage, the person doing the baptizing is deity, and the element being baptized into is deity, it is spirit baptism. So when it says here, for as many of you has, as have been, uh, uh, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, are we talking about water baptism or spirit baptism? Spirit baptism. Okay, so think of it this way. If we were to take a sponge and dip it, may I use the term baptize it, <laughs> submerge it, immerse it into water. As you place that sponge into the water, as it goes in, it's enveloped with the water. We could say clothed with the water as the water moves into the sponge. So as it's submerged into the water, it's enveloped with the water as that water moves into the sponge. Okay, in similar fashion, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, whether you knew it or not, most of us didn't at that moment, uh, then at that moment, the Holy Spirit baptized you. He submerged you. He immersed you into Christ. And as you were submerged into Jesus, you were enveloped with Jesus, clothed with Jesus, as he placed his spirit right into you. And thus... God identifies you with Christ's life because from that moment onward in the spirit realm, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Beautiful truth. Now let's go to Romans chapter 6 and unfold some more details. So our first reason here is that God identifies you with Christ's life. And this is uh, setting the stage here for this life streaming from the throne concept. But secondly, we're going to see that God identifies you with Christ's history. So it's the logical follow-up. If you are in Christ, then you are in his history. And uh, there's three major facts that the New Testament spells out. Two of them are in Romans 6. We are going to focus on those tonight. Another one is in Ephesians 1 and 2. I'll just allude to it, and we'll, uh, we'll deal with it a tad uh, tomorrow night. Uh, but we're going to deal with detail on the first two facts here in Romans chapter 6. So God identifies you with Christ's history. And in that, 
we're going to see that God identifies you with Christ's death, that's the first fact, and his resurrection, that's the second fact. Now, let's look at this. This is absolutely amazing. In Romans chapter 6, we're going to see that you and I died with Christ. Look at verse 3. It says, know ye not. Now, anytime the Bible says, know ye not, it means you probably don't know this, <laughs> and you need to. <laughs> okay, so don't you know, you got to get this, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Let me stop right there. Is this water baptism or spirit baptism? Spirit baptism. And it's tying into the exact concept that we just saw in Galatians. Now, it's going to go further, but up to that point, it's what we just read. When you got saved, you were baptized into Christ. So it says, don't you know that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, and here's the logical conclusion, were baptized into his death. Why? Because the moment you got submerged into Jesus, you're placed into Jesus, you're in his history. By the way, you know what that means? Not only did you get a new future when you got saved, you got a new past. <laughs> you see, when you're in him, you're in him. You're in his history. Therefore, as it says here in verse 3, you were baptized into his death. Okay. <laughs> What's the significance of that? What does that mean? Now, think of it in the physical realm. When someone dies, from the practical sense of it, the practical essence of death is when the soul separates from the body. In other words, the practical essence of death is separation. So, if we're placed into Jesus and placed into his death, then there is a separation that has to take place. There's a union that is going to get severed. Now, what is that union? And what does that mean? Well, if you glance up to verse 2, which precedes what we just read in verse 3, it tells us, how shall we that are dead, or literally who have died, to, what's the word? Sin. Now, what does that mean? Now, notice here, it doesn't say sins. That's significant because the predominant emphasis in the first five chapters of Romans in the uh, uh, Gospel of Sinners, uh, dealing with justification uh, by grace through faith, uh, sins is, is in the plural. But when we move to the Gospel of Saints, sanctification by grace through faith in Romans 6, 7, and 8, uh, the emphasis is now singular. Now, if we believe in verbal inspiration, there's got to be a reason. Why plural over here and singular over here? You see, when it says died to sins, it di uh, sin, it's not saying sins. It's talking about a something in us that urges us to commit sins. Now, when there is a trigger of temptation that is before you, have you ever had things trigger and you feel the pull toward that temptation. Okay, that's sin in the singular. It's what Romans 7, 17, and 7:20 describe as sin, singular, which dwelleth in me. So I'm going to shorten that phrase into two words, indwelling sin. <laughs> sin which dwelleth in me, indwelling sin. There is an entity 
uh, called sin. We're going to see in a moment in uh, verse 6 that it's personified, uh, but it is an entity in us. It's, it's not sins. It's that something in us. It's that pull in us. It's what Charles Wesley called that bent toward sin, uh, uh, toward sinning. It's that something in us that urges us, influences us, pushes us to go ahead and commit sins. That is indwelling sin. So how does this work? Well, in the immaterial part of our being, there we, of course, in the material part, we have a body. And within our body is our soul. There's your mind, affections, and will. We talked about that last night. But within your soul is your spirit. That's the part of us that prior to salvation is joined to indwelling sin. You say, how do you know? Let's go to verse 6. Knowing this, huh? here's something else. We've got to know. Got to get this. Here's another fact. Got to get this. That our old man, that's interesting wording, is, literally has been crucified with him. Now, this is helpful. Galatians 2.20, very familiar verse, verse, says, I am crucified with Christ. Romans 6.6 6 is a parallel phrase, but it gets a little bit more specific and tells us which part of the I got killed. Because if I am crucified with Christ, somebody died. And we've got to figure out who that is. And it tells us it's the old man. Well, who's that? Well, that's not your dad. Uh, <laughs> you, see, you see, the fact of the matter is, uh, as we already noted, physical death is when your soul separates from your body. Uh, the best I can tell, that has not occurred for anyone in this audience. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Please don't do it tonight. <laughs> And hopefully I won't either. But <laughs> so that means the old man here that gets crucified, that gets killed, is not talking about our soul or our body. Because they're still together. Now we can conclude by implication that the old man is a personification, a description of the unregenerated human spirit. It's the real you prior to salvation. It's your core. And prior to salvation, that part of you is very much separated from God, as Ephesians says, alienated from the life of God. And in chapter 2, Ephesians says, dead in trespasses and sins. Please don't get the wrong idea. It's not talking about a corpse. It's separated from God because it's alive to sin. This guy. It is dead to God, but very much alive to sin, separated from God, but joined. It's in a relationship, a union with this entity called indwelling sin. And prior to salvation, that part of us is called the old man. That phrase uh, in the scripture, when it's not talking about an elderly man, uh, then it, there's three times when it's used in this kind of sense, and one of them is right here. Okay, so that's the unregenerated human spirit. So if we can think in terms of a target uh, that has three circles, you guys are hunters, you've got this, down stu this stuff down pat, you know. Uh, the only thing I ever hunted, uh, uh, well, until a certain time was mice <laughs> in the house. But uh, uh, there's another time I'll tell you here in a moment. But uh, uh, at any rate, so there's body, there's soul, and then the bullseye would be, that's the old man, that's the human spirit. Or for the ladies in the audience, it's the old lady. I should not have said that. <laughs> And that part of us <laughs> is joined. It's, it's shackled. It's in a relationship with this old master. You say, why do you call him an old master? Well, let's read on. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that, okay, there's a purpose phrase, for the purpose that the body of sin, now this is fascinating, 
See, sin, this entity in us that urges us to commit sins, can't play out sins without a body. <laughs> so the body is the turf for the activity of sin, just as a football field is the turf for the game of football, the body is the turf for this indwelling sin. Remember in Romans 8, uh, Jesus took on a body, came into our world to condemn sin. That's who? In the flesh, that's where? Oh. So flesh, body, is con uh, they are connected here. Uh, this would be the turf. This is where indwelling sin tries to play out his, his sins, whether they're sins of the soul, like envy, uh, that's a part of the flesh in Galatians 5, or sins of the body, like uh, adultery or whatever. Okay, so the body is the turf for the activity of this guy indwelling sin. And so it says, got to know this. Your old man, your unregenerated human spirit, was crucified with Jesus so that the body, the turf for the activity of indwelling sin, might be destroyed. Now, please don't misunderstand. It is not the idea of annihilation. Let me word it this way that the body of sin might be deprived of its power. Deprived of its authority. Now, why is that? So that, it goes on to say, henceforth we should not serve, then what does it say? Sin. See, sin is now personified as a master, a slave master, a taskmaster. So, <coughs> we're... It says here, you got to know that uh, the old man was crucified with Jesus so that this body, this turf for the activity of indwelling sin might be deprived of its power so that you don't have this forced slavery of service to this old taskmaster of indwelling sin. So let's say it this way. You died with Christ unto indwelling sin. We could say it in a little bit more detail and saying, through death with Christ, the old you was severed from the old master of indwelling sin. Now, that's amazing. So, how did that happen? It says, you're crucified with him, so that this body of sin might be deprived of its power, so that you might not serve indwelling sin. How did it happen? You see, prior to salvation, in the immaterial part of us, our old man was shackled, joined, stuck, bonded to this old master of indwelling sin. We can't get away on our own. We're stuck. We need Jesus to do it for us. So let your eyes drop down to verse 10, where it says, Knowing, here's another one of these knowings, here's the third fact in this chapter, that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him, verse 10, for in that he died, now here it is, he died unto sin once. Now, that is very different concept than 1 Corinthians 15, 3 in the gospel of sinners, how that Christ died for our sins. And praise the Lord for the gospel of sinners. But this is the gospel of saints. That not only did he die for our sins, he died unto sin. Which presupposes there was a time when Jesus came into union with sin. Now this is amazing. 
bearing our sins and yet at the same time coming into union with sin. You see, this is the power of crucifixion day. We read in the Gospels that from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the uh, afternoon, the entire earth went dark. What a dark day. And at the end of those three hours, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou, why have you abandoned me? You know, it's pretty strong. Why did Jesus say that? It is because in those hours, Jesus, God the Son, but functioning as the Son of Man to represent us, was separated from God the Father. That's the essence of death. Why? Because he was in union with us, with our sins, bearing our sins, but becoming sin for us. Do you realize that the sins of the entire race, it's bad enough to just think of all of our sins, past, present, and future, as an individual. But the sins of the race, from the first Adam and Eve, whoever lived in the Garden of Eden, to the last human being, who will ever live? The sins of the race conglomerate was put on Jesus. Stunning. That's why the Bible calls him the last Adam. Never calls him the second Adam. He's called the second man. There's a difference. He's the last Adam because the sins of the race were put on him. But also, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin for us. And so, yes, he's dying for our sins to save us from hell. But he's dying unto sin to deliver us from the power of that old taskmaster, this side of heaven. See, there's something big that's going on here. And so, uh, there he is. And I believe, personally, that this is why Jesus agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think often this is misunderstood. People think he's running from the cross. No way. Everything he said, he was headed to that cross. He wasn't running from the cross. The agony, I believe, was over the way of the cross. That for the very first time in all of eternity, Jesus, the sinless, spotless, without blemish, Lamb of God, was separated from the Father. Actual separation because he was in contact, actual contact, with the dirt, stink, and filth of the entire race. And he became sin for us. But before he voluntarily gave up his spirit, he cried with a loud voice, It is finished! And he died, at that point, verse 10, unto sin once. Now, friends, at that moment, there was a severance. See, we need to die unto sin, verse 2. We can't do it on our own. Jesus did it for us, verse 10. And so here's the point. When you were baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, Romans 6, 3. You were baptized into his death. And in his death, he died unto sin once. That's what we need to happen to us. And so when we believe on Jesus, we're placed into Jesus. When we're placed into Jesus, we're placed into his history. When we're placed into his history, we are placed into his death. And at that moment, in the immaterial part of us where our old man is, is shackled and chained to, old, chained to that old master, at that moment, the cross comes in like a giant knife and cuts through all the shackles and sets us free. That's why verse 7 says, For he that is dead, he who has died, is freed, liberated, separated from indwelling sin. And from that moment onward, the old relationship with indwelling sin is forever severed. Now, that guy still hangs around in the soul and body level. That's why we're not perfect. But your core... The real you gets set free, liberated, 
separated from indwelling sin. You got unshackled. Now, this is what we got to get. You know, I heard preachers come into my church in Chicago when I was growing up, and, uh, you know, you're dead to sin! And I'm thinking, okay, I don't feel like it. Now, I'm 61. You were supposed to gasp. <laughs> but you know, at 61, I still don't feel dead to sin. But I am, and if you're saved, you are too. There is a severance that took place. Um, my wife and I, uh, our family, uh, we bought a house in 2009 uh, when the foreclosure market of Michigan was really, <laughs> it was popping because remember the 08 uh, crash that had taken place and, and people were uh, leaving Michigan because the auto industry had crashed and all of those things. And uh, a lot of houses were foreclosed on. There were houses that, uh, uh, that you could buy in Detroit for a buck. You wouldn't want to, but uh, they were there. Uh, now, this wasn't in Detroit, and it wasn't a buck, but, you know, it's because everything was down. It's just how the Lord led. So we picked up this house. So we moved into December of uh, 2009 because that's when I was coming in off the road. And uh, uh, I soon discovered that we were living with squirrels. Not the gray ones, the little red ones. And they were in the attic, and they were waking me up in the morning too early. Especially on, you know, I'm not in a meeting right now. This is when I'm going to get some extra sleep. And, you know, anyway, so they're waking me up and, uh, uh, oh, what a, what a mess. Well, um, you know, I'm back on the road and stuff. So it wasn't until May I got a guy to go up there and uh, I knew what he was doing. And uh, he said, yeah, you've had a lot of animals up here, but you definitely got the squirrels. And so uh, there's a two-story house and there's cedarwood eaves. And uh, the squirrels had chewed through the corners and gotten in, built their nest, had fun and stuff. And uh, so uh, at any rate, uh, he goes in there and, and he puts metal, you know, all over those spots. And then he puts new wood and uh, fixes it all up. And uh, so the squirrels go back up. Oh, my hole's gone. They chew another one, hit the metal, and then they kept chewing this way until the metal stopped, and now they're in, and now we've got a worse hole than before. <laughs> oh, what a pain. <laughs> and so this began the battle <laughs> that went on for a number of years. <laughs> I remember one time I was in the attic, and I saw that they, uh, they were chewing on the electrical wires. Well, that's how houses can burn down. <laughs> and so I thought, well, man, I can't just uh, live in denial here. I've got to do something. Uh, we got to deal with this. Well, eventually, we finally got them out of the attic. I won't get into all that. But then they found another spot. On the lower level, on the, uh, you, you go out the back door, and there's a deck. And then there's a door that goes down to the basement. And there's a roof line uh, diagonal right there. And it has some cedar wood. And they, they had gone in right there. Now, at least they were out of the attic. So for a while, I'm thinking, well, okay, I'll just let them stay there because I don't want them up there. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to just plug that up and force them back up to the attic. Uh, but then we found a dead one in the furnace, and we're thinking, you know, this probably isn't good. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to deal with these things. And we were trying everything. Everybody gave me all their ideas. Nothing was working. We were catching everything but a, a squirrel. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I thought, man, what are we going to do? And then I, uh, I decided, okay, this is it. I don't care if they look cute. It's time now to kill them. Now, I grew up in Chicago. I'm not a hunter. I know that's hard for Coloradans, especially since I was born in Durango, for anybody to conceive, but that's just it. You, know, you go up to Chicago, the only thing you hunt is the mice, as I told you. So, but I became a hunter, at least for red squirrels. <laughs> and uh, my brother-in-law lent me his uh, pellet rifle, 1,250 feet per second. And so I remember uh, in the summer of 2016, we collectively, my wife and son and I, killed 30 little red squirrels. 
Of course, the woods have a whole lot more than 30, but, you know, we killed 30. And uh, behind us, there's a lot of woods and so forth and so on. My wife even got into this. I mean, she, I mean, when she got, when it got in her blood, she was like, Elmer Fudge, you know, where's the rabbit? <laughs> and uh, my son got into it. Man, he nailed one out of a weeping willow at 50 yards. And we don't count them unless they totally fly off <laughs> and look like they got nailed, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, you know, I've seen them go up in the air. I remember one on the way down. He caught the, the branch, and there he's hanging there. And I could hear him say, I'm too young to die. <laughs> I saw another one lay down on the branch, and then he rolled off. That was the end of him. And, uh, oh, my, my pastor came over one uh, time, and he nailed one at 100 yards. In fact, we went down to actually find the dead body to make sure that it actually happened, and he did. He nailed it at 100 yards. Uh, and so, uh, uh, so that summer, and then the next summer, we, it wasn't quite as many, but we killed 20-some, uh, whatever. And uh, then the next summer, I think we got 26. So they're getting thinner. <laughs> And then, one winter time, I knew that I had them out of the hole. I didn't want to just patch it up because I didn't want them to go back up to the top, but it seemed like they weren't really going in and out. So, uh, but again, I didn't just want to patch it up because I didn't want to go to the attic. I said, well, I'm just going to stick a stick in there. <laughs> so maybe we've killed off the right clan. And if that stick stays in there for the next number of months, then I know we got them. And if it comes out and land on the patio, then I know they're back in. So, uh, so I go out for meetings, come back in February, the stick is still there. Oh man, this is really exciting. <laughs> and we're gone for a few more meetings, I come back in March or April or something, the stick is still there. I thought, wow, I think we nailed the right clan. They're not coming back in. I went out for meetings, come back in May, and the stick was out, and they were in. <clears throat> having babies. Oh, I was so disappointed and so distraught. I thought, you know, and one night, they'd all come in for the night, you know, and they had the fireplace going and everything else. And so <laughs> I thought, okay, this is not what you want to do because if you just, you know, plug it up while they're in there, they could die and smell everything up for quite a while. So I didn't really want to do that, but at this point, I didn't care. So I know this is going to be, sound foolish to, to you folk, but this is the city kid coming out of me, and I thought, you know, I'm going to try something. And so I got a glue board. Now, some of those glue boards, you know, for rats and mice are in tubs, but some of them are flat, flat, and you got to fold them. So I got one of the flat, flat ones, and I, they were all in that hole, and I just stuck it on there. And, man, you're going to get a mouthful of glue in the morning. I don't know what that's going to look like, but and I didn't really want them to die and stink in there, but I didn't really care at this point because, you know, I'm done with this. I stick that over there. Well, the next morning I come out, they had chewed right through it like it was nothing. <laughs> Oh, man, now they're out in the woods cracking jokes about the humans. And I thought, you know, <laughs> what are we going to do? And uh, so, you know, the roof line is like this. And I had put that thing, you know, horizontal over the hole, but they had chewed the hole through it. So then I got another one. I thought, well, tonight they got to come back in. So I, I put it facing outward and stuck it underneath the other one so they would have to go over it to get in. And I put one this way, and based on the roof line, they would have to cross over that glue to get in. Now, those little guys can move extremely fast, but those glue bars are, st are sticky. I mean, I know they chewed through it, but I thought, well, may maybe it'll be different if their paws hit it. I didn't know, but that's what I did. So... I waited and waited, hoping that I'd catch them that evening as they came in, but they hadn't come yet, so I finally went to bed. Next morning, I come out, and lo and behold, there was a little red squirrel hanging like a hammock <laughs> on that glue board. And as soon as he saw me, he went ballistic. Now, I'm sure he did that when he got stuck, 
hours before. But <laughs> now I come back out in the morning. He goes ballistic again, but he's stuck. I mean, he is stuck, stuck. I mean, at least three paws and a tail I mean, uh, or something like that. Uh, he was stuck. And so now I'm smiling and I'm looking at him and he's looking at me. And then I thought, now what do I do? <laughs> I thought, well, I can't just let it die a slow death. That would not be right. So I got my rifle and at close range did what I had to do. And you know, when it died, you know what happened? It fell off the glue board. Now, wait a second. The guy had worked for hours trying to get off that board. Worked again when I came back out. Could not get off. But when he died, I don't know, fur, something happens with the skin. The fur comes out. I don't know. He'd fall off the board. In fact, I caught two more the next two days. The same thing happened. They're stuck, stuck, stuck until they died, and then they would be unstuck. Do you see the picture? We're stuck, stuck, stuck. We can't get away. Try as we may. We need Jesus to do this for us. And he bore our sins, but came into union with sin. And then died unto sin, not just for our sins, but unto sin. And when we're placed into him, we're placed into that death, Therefore, we're placed into that separation. And at that moment, we get unstuck, unbonded from indwelling sin. Do you see it? So there's that first fact. You died with Christ and indwelling sin. The second fact is you rose with Christ unto the indwelling spirit. This is verse 5. For if we have been planted together in that union with his death and the likeness of his death, so shall we be also planted together in union together with the likeness of his resurrection. So here, through resurrection with Christ, the old you was raised a new you and was joined to the new leader of the indwelling Christ or the indwelling spirit. That's why I say you, you, you rose with Christ unto the indwelling spirit. That old you, the old man, dies with Christ and is raised the new man and then joined to the new leader. So let's talk about this. The new man. The old man dies with Christ and is raised the new man. That is what is called in Ephesians 4.24. That's where you would see the words new man, which says, which is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. When I was here last time, we looked at the text from 2 Corinthians 5.17 about the new creature, the new creation. There it is. This new man is created. It's the new creature. It is the new creation created after God. That's an interesting phrase. And whatever that is, it's in righteousness. Whoa. And true holiness. Friends, that's the real you. This is the new you. Well, how can it be righteous and holy? It's because it's created. That word does involve a creative act of God. This is not a renovation. It's a recreation. That's important. But it's created after God. What is that? Well, in 1 John 3, 9, that is described for us in the beautiful phrase, God's seed. Now, let me throw a Greek word at you. Most of you will understand it. God's sperma. Do you realize that when you were born again, something of God's own nature, his DNA, was put into you, implanted into you. This new man, is created after God. See, after God, God's seed, God's nature implanted into you, therefore 
created after God in righteousness and true holiness. Why? Because God's nature is righteous. God's nature is holy. God's nature is loving. God's nature is good and so much more. And that is your core right now if you're a child of God. And that is your core on your worst day when you totally ignored all the provision that you have. But that's the real you. Now, this is amazing. The nature of God. Do you realize when you got regenerated, you got regened? God's DNA. See, this is, the, this is the regenerated human spirit. So let me ask you, if the old man died with Christ and has raised the new man, where's the old man? He's gone. Now let's make sure we don't misunderstand this, so you don't misquote me. <laughs> You cannot have an unregenerated spirit and a regenerated spirit in the same body. Make sense? Okay, so the old man dies with Christ, is raised the new man. The old man's gone forever. Now, the old master, he's still hanging around. You say, well, is that the old nature? I don't use that terminology because that's not in the Bible. One time it does say, by nature, the children of wrath. And then, of course, on the positive side, partakers of the divine nature, so I do use it on the positive side. But on the negative side, the fallen condition is there's an old man, the unregenerated human spirit, and the old master indwelling sin in the turf of the flesh. But after salvation, that three, that group of three got reduced to two. Because the old man dies with Christ as he gets severed from that old master, is raised the new man, and now what you're left with on the fallen side is the old master. He still hangs around on the soul and body level. That's why we're not perfect. And you still have the flesh part of us. But your human spirit is no longer in the fallen condition. It's in the risen condition. You were raised with Christ, the new man. And this is why Jesus is called the second man. See, he's the last Adam as he takes the sins of the race to the cross. He's the second man because he started a new race. And by the way, in this new race, there's neither male nor female, no gender issues. <laughs> there's neither Jew nor Gentile, no racism issues. There's neither bond nor free, no class issues. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. And friends, in the spirit dimension, we're in that right now. See, this is marvelous. This is the in Christ thing that, 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 that supersedes all the divisions in our world. And this is why you can have a New Testament body of believers and you can have rich and poor and, and all the different diversity and yet there's a oneness in Christ when we're walking in the Spirit <laughs> and uh, uh, so on. But see, this is what happened. This is radical change. See, that new man part of us, that's God's nature. That's God's seed, to use the particular word. That's why 1 John 3, 9, and you can look it up, it says he, that guy, God's seed, cannot sin. Now, we can ignore that, and we can cave into the old master who's not our master, and we can play out sins. Obviously. Take a look around. <laughs> but that part of us can't sin. God's nature can't sin. That's why three verses earlier in 1 John 3 says, He who abides, which is your picturesque term for dependence, where that's where we were last night. Okay, he who abides in him does not sin. Why? Because there's a part that cannot, and it gets even better. Not only were you raised with Christ the new man, it's so that, according to Romans 7, 4, you might be married, new union, new relationship, new bond to another, 
even to him who was raised from the dead. And that's the Spirit bringing the risen, enthroned life of Christ, here's our life stream, right into us. You see, so that we might be married, joined to another, even to him that was raised from the dead. We have a new leader. Now, you say, why don't you call him the new master? Because he has a different tactic. He's the sovereign of the universe. He could do this however he wanted to, but in his sovereign wisdom, he chose not to force us. See, when we were joined to the old master, it was forced slavery to indwelling sin because everything we did was in cahoots with him, making even what looked good, self-righteousness, that's a filthy rag that falls short of the glory of God. All of it was that prior to salvation. It was forced slavery. But then we're raised, we're separated from him, raised with Christ the new man. The Holy Spirit of Jesus moves in, but he doesn't force us. Even though we're joined to him, if you choose to ignore him, and go yield to that old boss who's not your boss, you can. And every time we sin, that's exactly what we've done. But it's not forced slavery anymore. It's voluntary slavery. That's pretty foolish, don't you think? Now, friends, he could have forced us if he wanted to. Because you know, we sometimes ask, well, why doesn't he just force us? It's because he wanted a love relationship. Without a free will, you cannot have love. It's one of the greatest arguments for the free will. You cannot have love without a genuine free will to choose God. And so we're joined to him, but now it's time to love him. To love, trust, and obey is the progression that you see in the scripture. And we're going to come into that. Uh, but nonetheless, that is the provision. He's the new leader. And so we can word it this way. A new relationship has begun. The old relationship with indwelling sin has been forever cut and severed. The new relationship with the indwelling spirit has been forever sealed because 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, He who is joined, there's the new relationship, to the Lord is one spirit. Just like husband and wife, one flesh, new man, regenerated spirit, new leader, Holy Spirit, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Isn't that amazing? See, this provision, this stream from the throne, it's available every second. But without faith, we don't benefit from it. Now, tomorrow night, we're going to see how that plays out, the, the, the application. But this is, this is what we've got to see right now, that this is what's available. And friends, when you do access Jesus, he wins. It's just like, you know, without a, a life vest and you don't know how to swim, uh, there's the tendency to sink. And somebody throws you the vest and so you stick your arms up through that vest and there's an immediate buoyancy that counteracts and overcomes the sinking tendency. And we put on Jesus. <laughs> and there's the buoyancy that we need. That's what's available. But without faith, we miss out. So we've seen two reasons so far for this life streaming. God identifies us with Christ's life. Secondly, God identifies us with Christ's history. In that, we saw two facts. We died with Christ unto indwelling sin. We rose with Christ unto the indwelling spirit. There is a third fact. We are ascended and enthroned with Christ. That's Ephesians 1 and 2. We'll tap into that, Lord willing, a bit tomorrow night. But that's amazing, absolutely stunning. But that brings us to the third reason as we wrap this up. Not only does God identify with Christ's life and his history, God identifies you with Christ's acceptance. This is important. In Ephesians 1, 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted 
in the beloved. Okay. We're accepted not because we perform well, but because he did. And we're accepted in him. See, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and we're in him. And because we are, we're accepted in him. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants us to live right. We're going to see some of that uh, played out in the, the application tomorrow night. God, God provides for all that, but I'm just simply saying our acceptance is not because we performed well for three weeks. And if that's what we think, then we're Catholic-styled Baptists. Because it's a performance-based grid of sanctification. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. You're accepted. So when Satan says, you're not accepted, he's lying. When he whispers, oh man, you're a dud. <laughs> you are such a failure. Oh man. You know, why don't you just give up? God's not interested in you anymore. You know, all of that's a lie. Now, you may have been blowing it, but the real you is not a failure. The real you is God's nature that we ignored. You see, we're accepted in him. His nature is in us, and his spirit in us is in us. We have Christ's life in that twofold sense, his nature implanted and his spirit indwelling, and we are accepted at any given moment because of that. Now, again, God wants us to live right. But the living right is not what makes us accepted. It's because we're in him. And the sooner we get that, the sooner we can be free then to access by faith all the rest that's available. You see, Satan wants you to define yourself by the bad moment, the worst day. In our world, sometimes that's something you did. Sometimes it's something that was done to you, as in sexual abuse. And in our world, this is a massive thing. And Satan plays off of this and says, ah, that's, you know, you're forever defined identified by that worst day. It's not true. You're identified by who you are in Christ, righteous. Even on your worst day. Because God loves his children unconditionally, which means he loves them as much on their worst day as on their best. And the sooner we allow that to sink in, the sooner we will embrace Jesus and thus access the life stream. You see, he measured up for us. So we're accepted in Christ. In Romans 5, verse 2, remember I talked about the progression of truth that ends with that resting faith last night, the term hope, confident expectation. Okay, the beginning says we're justified by faith. That's Romans 5, 1. Romans 5, 2. We have access. In whom? Jesus. We have access by faith into this grace, this spirit provision wherein we stand. And now we can launch the, this, this faith journey. See, we have access by faith. All of the provision is available. It is a matter of fact. You died with Christ. You rose with Christ. You're accepted in Christ. That's fact. But see, faith has to access the provision. And without faith, we saw last night, it's impossible to please him. Now, with facts, you don't have to ask for them, but you do have to take them. And so we'll see that play out tomorrow night. But the point is, we do have access by faith. Now, here's what's interesting. In Galatians, we saw at the beginning of the message that uh, 
you, as many of you as have been immersed into Christ, have put on Christ. It's a done deal. Yet Romans 13, 14 says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now wait. Galatians says, you have put on Christ. You've been endued with Christ. You've been clothed with Christ. It's that word. Same word in Romans 13, 14. But put ye on. Be endued with. Be clothed with Christ. Why does Romans command us to do what Galatians says is already done? It's because faith has to depend on the facts in order to experience them to their full benefit. Faith connects the facts into function. <laughs> you see, the stream is there. The Holy Spirit is streaming the life of Jesus from the throne right into us. That's available every moment. Christ is living in us. Galatians 2.20, same truth. But the end of Galatians 2.20 says, dot, 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 by faith. See, without faith, we miss out on the full benefit of the life stream. We miss out on the leadership, the perfect wisdom, and the power, the perfect enablement for everything. And so, that's why faith is such an important matter. This is not a matter of trying to imitate Christ. It's a matter of accessing the stream of his life, which means it's a matter of impartation, not imitation. The only way you can truly imitate Christ is to access him, because only God meets the standard of God. <laughs> that's why we need him, uh, imputed righteousness and justification and imparted righteousness and sanctification. And when we walk by faith and thus walk in the Spirit, the Spirit imparts to us the very life of Jesus. He fills us with his life. That's the Spirit-filled life. And it's by faith. So if you can be saved by faith and know it, you can be filled by faith and know it. Now, tomorrow night, we'll see those steps play out, the taking of the stream, the acting on it. But I want us to ponder tonight the fact that the stream is there. We're in him, and he is in us. And so, at your core, you're righteous. You're not a dirt ball. Now, when we ignore our provision, we act like dirt balls. I get that. <laughs> and we can make dirty messes. I get that. But at your core, you're not a dirt ball. You're righteous. You're a saint. A holy one. Why? Because the holy nature of Jesus is in you and the Holy Spirit of Jesus is in you. That's your core. And so, that's our provision. And if we identify with what God identifies us as, it changes everything. We're identified with Christ's life. We're in Him. He's in us. His history. We died to indwelling sin. We were raised, now joined to Jesus. So we're accepted in the beloved. And therefore, by faith, we can access his stream of leadership and power every day. And thus, life stream from the throne. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. As we looked at a truth that's as simple as, simple as you're in Christ and he's in you, and as detailed as what we just spent 50 minutes on. Now, let the Spirit convince you. That's the reckoning of Romans 6, 11. See, we stopped in verse 10. Verse 11 says, reckon. Allow the Spirit to convince you of this truth. Because when you do, then you can take the steps of faith to yield not to the old master, but to the new and experience Jesus. I wonder who tonight would say, preacher, 
Let me just ask a couple of questions. I wonder who would say, Preacher, for the first time, I understand what it means to be dead to sin. It's no longer a foggy phrase. I get it. There's an actual severance of two entities, my human spirit and this indwelling sin master. And when I die with, when I'm placed into Christ, I died with Christ unto indwelling sin. Now I understand what it means to be dead to sin. That opened up for me. If that's you, would you raise the hand? Wonderful. Yes, that's wonderful. Because when that opens up, it's life-changing. Because now you realize I'm not, I'm not stuck. It's no longer for slavery. And you raise that new man joined to Jesus. Now, I would imagine in this audience, many of us, if not most, if not everyone, is aware Jesus is in you. But you know you can know something and not know it. I wonder who tonight with your preacher, God is opening my eyes to the glory that Jesus really is in me. Both his nature in my spirit and his spirit joined to that nature. Wow, God's thrilling me with this fact. Would you raise the hand, please? Wonderful. Yes, wonderful. Well, let's take a few moments to talk to the Lord. Before we do, let me ask this. Is there anyone that would say, Preacher, I'm not even in Christ. You know, if you die outside of Christ, you're in trouble because only God meets the standard of God. So it's only because we're in Him and He's in us that God accepts us into heaven. I wonder if there's anyone that would say, Preacher, if I died right now, I hope I'd go to heaven, but I do not know. Please pray for me. Would you raise the hand? Anyone at all? So let's take a moment as the pianist plays to just talk to God about whatever he's talking to you about. thank you for this truth that we have been baptized into Christ and endued with Christ and as the song that uh, is being played says the baptism of the heavenly dove to my heart and altar now Lord may that be our response so that your love might be the flame Lord may we ponder these truths would you convince us of them thoroughly so that we've truly reckoned ourselves to yes, indeed, be dead unto indwelling sin and alive unto God so that we can now apply it. So, Lord, may we go away rejoicing in the provision that is available to life stream from the throne. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.